Hi there, this is James Myers with Sea of Fire Ministries. I just wanted to take some time to apologize for last week. We weren't able to get the messages out as we ran into some, some technical difficulties, but we're hoping we can piece those together and, and at least get out what we can, albeit late. So again, our, our sincerest apologies. However, we are providing a link in the description of these podcasts to uh, link you to our YouTube channel uh, where you can find some of the snippets, some of the shorts from those messages, um, should you so desire. But again, our sincerest apologies, uh, but I hope and pray you had a wonderful Christmas. I pray you have a great new year, and thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. May God richly bless you. Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are considering men and women of the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of His people. Today we conclude our consideration of David as James provides more of a synopsis than previous messages, anticipating an entire series regarding this great man David, should God so will. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org, or you can view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to edify the church. Okay, so as I said, we are going to conclude our consideration of David today. And we're going to try, I know we had said that we were going to have three more, but we, I anticipate, God willing, having a whole series regarding David. David is such a central figure in the Bible that to try to breeze through him, you know, his life and his testimony um, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be advantageous anyway. Ultimately, we'll just relook at some of this um, in some time to come, God willing. And we're going to try to be a little bit more brief in these. You know, the, the goal is to kind of get the timing down. So again, we're going to jump into the narrative. We'll, you know, we'll kind of give more of a synopsis on most of these accounts. So we'll focus on certain things, um, and we will read certain accounts, but again, we're, we're trying to move at a, at a bit of a faster pace. Um, so, provided that you all read this account already, uh, the second Samuel, I know you I had said chapters one through eight, so hopefully, you know, you had done that. We're actually gonna peek into chapter nine, so, spoiler alert. Um, so, that's what we're doing, um, and so next week, God willing, we'll consider Solomon, and then men and women henceforth, again, giving somewhat of a brief, more of a brief account. Okay, so in chapter one, remember, David would not lift his hand against the Lord's anointed, against Saul, right? No matter what, no matter how much Saul was trying to kill him, no matter how much he was chasing him around all the mountains and all the wilderness and all the rest, David had several occasions and his, and his men were telling him, God has delivered him into your hands and he would not lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. And we also saw two weeks ago that Saul and his sons, including Jonathan, fell in the battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. They, they perished. And we also read how, right? Uh, Saul was still alive, and he wanted his armor-bearer to finish him off, basically. But his armor-bearer wouldn't lift his hand against the Lord's anointed as well. So he fell on his sword, and the Bible said he died. All right. Now this Amalekite, this Amalekite seemed to have found himself at, on Mount Gilbo, that's where 
the that's where Saul was slain. That's where Jonathan likely fell as well. And so he finds himself around there. He must have taken Saul's crown and his bracelet and his signet ring, most likely, and, and so forth. And he takes it to David, all right, and he gets all dressed up. You know, he puts dust on his head, all the all the garments, all the gear you would do for mourning, for sorrow. You know, the king is dead. The king is dead and his sons, many of his heirs apparent, are dead. So he puts dust on his ashes on his head and he comes to David, all right? And so, then, so David said to him, where have you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. Remember, David is in Ziklag. Remember, uh, the, the Amalekites had taken all their families, had taken their children, taken all of their stuff. They didn't kill anybody. And then David and his men went and rescued them and saved them. So that's why they weren't part of the battle. So they're still in Ziklag. Okay, so this Amalekite comes to him, goes to him there. Um, so David said to the young men who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? You would need eyewitness testimony. David's, David wants to make sure. I mean, his heart is wrenched here. He doesn't want Saul to... He knows it's bound to happen. He knows he's anointed king, and he knows that God is going to take care of Saul when God de determines to take care of Saul. And so he hears this news, and it still pierces his heart. And again, he and Jonathan were very close, so this pierces his heart. So, so he's asking him, how do you know that, that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance... We've talked about that. To be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. We saw that he fell on his sword. We, we have to, there's much conjecture regarding this. Again, we, God willing, we'll take some more time considering these things. But chances are the, the Philistines had already taken his body. Well, not necessarily because they would have taken the crown and all the rest, all the things that he had gotten. So, and indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now, when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, here, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. The Amalekites are who David had just slaughtered, all right? So this is a foreigner, basically one of the, the great enemies of Israel. So I'm an, I'm an Amalekite. He said to me again, so this is Saul, please stand over me and kill me for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. Now, this only suggests that Saul was already dead. Remember, Saul, wanted, Saul did not want the armor bearer to, to finish the job just because, you know, he's in agony. He didn't want to be tortured. He didn't want to become this spectacle, living spectacle for the Philistines. So, so I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I've brought him them here to my Lord. So this man is lying. This Amalekite did not kill Saul. He did not finish the job. Okay, but he's, he is, he's lying. Okay, therefore, David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. We've talked about that. It's a great sign of grief. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So many of those soldiers perished in this battle. Then David said to, to the young man who told him, where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, 
Go near and, and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Now remember, when, when we, looked, we were considering the book of Acts, how Paul had said, I'm innocent of the blood of men. There's no blood on my head. I'm completely innocent. I have declared to you the whole counsel of God. I'm innocent. And basically this man... This man, is he's putting his own blood on his own head by what he said. He's lying. David doesn't know that. David doesn't know that. But either way, this man is professing a sin he didn't commit, but a sin nonetheless. David is determined. No one lifts their hand against the Lord's anointed. And if we take that into the church, if we take that into the church, none of us, None of us determine who is and who isn't an absolute Christian, who is a believer within the in invisible church, right? The actual wheat and who are the tares. It is not for us to know. That invisible church is visible to God and God alone, not ours. So it's not up to us to strike, to lift our hand against one who is professed to be a Christian. That is not ours to do. If they are not, if they are merely the tares, then they are God's to deal with as well. So this man, even though he hadn't committed the sin, this should be a huge cautionary tale for us. Even though he didn't, he thought he was gaining favor with David. He thought this would be great news to David, except for Jonathan, but he knows that David's anointed, right? And so the king is dead. This is your time. And here I am. I brought you the crown. I brought you the bracelet. You're welcome, David. He didn't expect this. He didn't expect this. David is not a king like all the other nations. It typically, this king would show this man much favor and then destroy the rest of the house of Saul. David is a faithful king to God. Again, not perfect, but he refuses to lift his head against the his hand against the Lord's anointed or permit or not punish someone who does or even who portends to okay so that's the that's the tale with this man now let's just kind of stick that in the back of our heads now we're going to kind of give a brief synopsis we're going to read the song of the bow and we'll 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 stop at certain portions but but again we'll consider this more god willing when we look back at david this is a wonderful song this is a wonderful song of lamentation from the heart of the psalmist of the of the greatest writer the greatest greatest poet laureate of israel okay and he's lamenting not just for jonathan yes seems like especially for jonathan but Saul as well. Saul was the anointed king. He fell. He was anointed to fall. But that doesn't, that does not change David's heart and his faith to God. Okay. So then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. And we'll talk about that some other time, God willing. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Gath was the capital of Philistia. And Ashkelon was like this great economic city. This, this great economic place. O mountains of Gilboa. Let there be no dew nor rain upon you. Nor fields of offering. 
offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. So basically, David is pronouncing a curse on this mountain. This is where the slain, this is where Israelites fell, in particular Saul and Jonathan. But then at the end of this specific part, it says the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. They did not flee. They did not retreat. We've seen the heart of Saul. And still during this battle, he still stayed in the battle, even when he knew he was likely going to fall. Because Samuel, well, that you know, that figure of Samuel anyway, had told him that. God had told him that. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. That's essential to, to recognize. Remember, they had their differences. You know, Saul was determined to kill David. Jonathan loved David. So, you know, they, they were in great odds with that. But Jonathan is still serving his father, and he dies in the battle. So obviously, in this, they were not divided. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul. Over Saul. Now remember, he, he had already said, tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. However, O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. And we briefly discussed that, you know, when we, when we considered this account somewhat briefly two weeks ago. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perish. Now, chapter two, we're going to be somewhat brief about. So, David petitions God and he asks him, should I go up to one of the cities of Judah? Should, is this time, is this my time to become king? Saul is dead now. You know, Saul has fallen. Jonathan, his, Saul's sons have fallen. Is this my time? Now we'll see. Uh, Saul has at least, well, he has one more son. However, right now, he's asking, and, and where do I go? If I'm supposed to go, then where do I go? So he asks him, do I go up? And God says, yes, go up. And he asks, where? And he says to Hebron. So Hebron is basically the first capital of Judah. He's king over Judah at this point. Hebron is where that cave that, which holds Abraham, Sarah, all the patriarchs and all their wives. So Abraham, Sarah, uh, Rebekah, Isaac, and Jacob, and Leah. Remember, we briefly discussed that cave. So he's basically sending him. He's established king at this place that is very sacred to the Israelites. God is saying to go to this sacred place, essentially. What a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful blessing. He's not just established king. He's established king in the perspective, in the retrospective of everything that's already transpired. Hebron was very important. It was an important city. And so he's going to be, he's established king there and he sets up the capital there. That's where the kingdom starts. Um, so, and then the men of Judah came up and anointed him king, okay? Now, Abner, the commander of Saul, apparently fled. He apparently retreated away from the battle. We will see, Abner seems to be full of subterfuge, you know, and, and controversy. He, he just, 
he makes he just sets it out to where he tries to make everything work out for him okay let's just put it that way and we'll, as we will see so he took um uh, he took Saul's Saul's son um where is it yeah Ishbosheth and he basically made him king over Israel okay so David's king over Judah the tribe of Judah it's a great place it's 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 a large area however he's just he's just king of Judah at this point and Ishbosheth very difficult very difficult. I'm not, you know, I speak Texan. All right? It's hard to pronounce some of these things, but Ishbosheth uh, uh, is, is made king. Abner doesn't have the authority to do this, but he wants his own command to continue. Okay, so that's what happens. He makes him king over all of Israel except for the tribe of Judah. All right, then Joab, uh, uh, David's most faithful and, and greatest commander, they, they come to this battle, right? They come to this meeting, basically. And then they, they both agree, they all agree, that 12 of the, 12 of the men of the tribe of uh, Judah and 12 of the men of, the, of all of Israel come together and fight. It's much like bringing the champions out. It's much like Goliath, David and Goliath, all right? Let's, let 12 of your men and 12 of our men, let's fight this out. And whoever, you know, succeeds, whoever has more men, you know, won, won the battle, okay? Then the, all 12 of the, well, 24 of these men die from each other. So it's ultimately a tie. All right. So how's the tie broken? Basically, all the men start to fight. Okay. So it ends up being a great civil war. This is the first of the civil war between the Israelites. I mean, generally speaking, we have seen, well, there are some in the book of Judges. However, this is... This is one of the great. This is one of the most tragic ones during the establishment of J, uh, David's reign. So Abner again takes off. Now one of uh, one of uh, Joab's brothers chase him. He's 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 like fast like a gazelle. Now apparently he doesn't have any weapons. So Abner's looking back and he's saying, "Hey, g turn to the right hand or to the left hand, and if anything, grab some of the armor, grab some of the sword by one of these young men." Don't make me turn and kill you. How can I see the face of your brother Joab after this? Because now he knows Israel's failed. Israel is, is, is done, as we will see. Then Abner defects again. And, and so he's, he's asking him, please turn away. And he wouldn't. I think his name is Asahel. Yeah, Asahel um, would not turn back. And so Abner kills him. He ends up killing him somewhat of defense all right but he did try to convince him to turn back to turn away and he didn't and we're just going to have to kind of keep that in the back of our minds for a moment we'll get to that somewhat briefly so so abner flees again goes back to ishbosheth ishbosheth accuses abner of lying with one of saul's wives now whether or not he actually did is anybody's guess. However, I think this is an occasion for Abner. This gives Abner an excuse to defect to David. Okay, so that's what happens. And so now he's going to join David. Now it was so, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. So again, this is just for Abner. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aia. And so this is who... Ishbosheth um, accused him of, of lying with. Um, 
So then Abner sent messages on his behalf to David saying, whose is this land? Whose is the land saying also make your covenant with me and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. So Abner saying, you know, let's, let's, let's be allies here. Let me ally myself with you and we will make it to where all of Israel is now yours. Establish your kingship throughout Israel. And David, and David said, good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Again, that he had married Michal already and, and Saul had remarried her um, to, to this man, Paul Tiel. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, give me, my, give me my wife Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of, of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. Then her husband went along with her to Bahurim, weeping behind her. So this man is grieving. I think Michal was likely grieving too, and I think that's why she was more, more prone to get frustrated and have issues with David. Remember when they had brought the Ark of the Covenant, he's dancing, you know, and he kind of reveals himself too much more than her liking. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure this is part of the reason. So Abner said to him, go return. So we told Paul Tiel, go return, and he returned. Now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, in times past you were seeking for David to be king over you. So in other words, everybody's waiting for David to become king. Okay, so, and Abner knows this. Abner's now doing his job, just like he had asked to be allies with David, so that you can be established over all Israel. Okay, this Ishbosheth accused me of this, and so I'm defecting to you. Everybody in Israel wants you to be king, so let's do this. So he goes out to all Israel, and he, and he tells him, In time past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin, so the tribe of Benjamin. That's where Saul was from. That's where Saul was from. So they would likely have the biggest problem with this. You know, Ishbosheth is anointed king, so he's also telling these to the Benjamites. Um, then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at, David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. So again, he's going to do the bidding of the king. He's going to do the job of the king. Everything's going running amok today. <laughs> so at that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron. So he had, for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. That's clear. That's key. He'd gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. And that's a great synopsis. Obviously, they told him, hey, they're allies now. Abner has defected from Ishbosheth, and now has become uh, uh, faithful to David. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? What arrogance. What arrogance. What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away and he is already gone? Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going and you're coming in, and to know all that you are doing. Remember, Abner had killed his brother, so Joab wants nothing to do with Abner. 
And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, who brought him back from the well of Syrah. But David did not know it. David did not know it. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took, took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately. He's pretending. He's acting like he's going to talk to him privately. Let's make peace, is likely what he's saying. Look, you and I, you know, I, I, you know, I know you killed my brother, but I also know that he was chasing you down. Let's talk about this. And let's make peace privately. So he pulled him. He pulled him aside um, privately, and there stabbed him in the stomach, so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, "My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword, who or who lacks bread." This is a curse coming from David. This is a curse coming from David. Now Joab will remain his commander. Because, because they are allies already. He had already commissioned him to be commander, and he has not defected from David in that respect, and so he continues to be commander, but David is cursing Joab and all of his father's house. Let this fall on the rest of the household. Let there never be one, one among the family who is not like a leper or lame and so forth. Because he had killed their brother. I'm sorry. Um, then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. Remember, Abner was Saul's commander. And remember, David had kind of taunted him. The second time he had a chance to, to kill uh, Saul, he was very upset with Abner. Abner de de deserved the death, death penalty, and that's what David continued to say to Abner. But now he's wanting everybody to weep for Abner, Ab Abner to, to mourn for him. So they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. He wept. He's, he's truly heart-struck by this. He's a faithful king. Abner defected, basically gave his all, all of his allegiance, repented from Ishbosheth, and came under David's command, David's kingship. Okay? He, he, became, he came to be faithful to David. So David, as one of his faithful men, is weeping over this. He's mourning over this. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters, as a man falls before wicked men. So you fell. Then all the people wept over him. And they started to try to persuade David to eat. Please, eat something. But David would not. David is only going to fast. This is a time of mourning. This is not a time a time for great feasting, as we've seen. You know, they would always have these feasts for great celebrations. This is not that time. I'm going to mourn. I'm going to stay in my sackcloth. I'm going to keep the ashes on my head. And for the rest of the day, for the, until the evening, basically all day, we are mourning for Abner. And basically that, make, that, that, that shows, that illustrates to everybody that David had nothing to do with Abner's demise. Because that would be assumed. You know, that would be assumed. And so he's making it clear that is not the case, but he's also truly heartstruck. But by this, kind of a byproduct is everybody knows he didn't have anything to do with that. Okay. By God, yes. So, chapter four. 
When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart. Ishbosheth lost heart. His only hope is really this commander Abner. And now Abner's Abner's uh, has has passed as well. And all Israel was troubled. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains. Now all Israel was troubled because they know this is likely going to turn into a great civil war because now Abner is defected and basically David might come in and just destroy everything. We know what he's been doing to the Philistines and to the Amalekites and all the rest. So they were troubled. The name of one was ba now Saul had two men who were captains of his troops. The name of one was Bana, and the name of the other Rechab, the sons of Ramon the Beerothrite uh, of the children of Benjamin. Jonathan Saul's son had a son who was lame in his feet, and we will get to that. But he was five years old when he when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled because again, once Saul is dead, everybody assumes. Because all the other kings would come in and kill all the family, all the heirs apparent, everybody. And so they, they fled. Now, as they fled, and it happened, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Then the sons of Ramon, Rechab and Bana, set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat. They were pretending to come and get wheat. And they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Bana, his, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, and they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. We've seen a lot of this beheading, but they're taking a token to David. And they think, you know, David with, a, with Goliath and so forth, that this is the thing to do. Okay, we're, you know, we, we've taken care of the king, of your enemy king. So they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here's the head of, Ish, of Ishbosheth, the, the son of Saul, your enemy, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. So again, they just assume they're doing this for David. Now they're defecting. Okay, they're defecting. And the Lord has avenged my Lord the king this day of Saul and his descendants. But David answered Rechab and Banah, his brother, the sons of Ramon the Berethorite, and, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, when so, so in other words, the Lord has delivered me from all adversity. I don't need your help. I don't need you to go around doing things outside of my command. I didn't. Nobody told you to do this. You came up with this on your own. So the Lord has preserved me and redeemed my life from all adversity. When, somebody when someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. See, there, there's the indication. That man just thought he was going to get a reward. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed? This is nothing I would have commanded. This is nothing I would have commanded. So, you know, the one had said, and he was seeking a reward, you went outside of anything I'm about, anything I've been indicating this entire time. I had my chance to kill Saul. I could have killed Saul, you know, and I could have destroyed the rest of his, his family. I made an oath. I made this promise. This is not up to you to decide. So David commit. so I'm sorry. How much more when the w wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed? Therefore, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? 
So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron to make a sign, to, to show everybody, David is king, David is king, but don't go around thinking you're doing favors for the king unless the king demands it. Don't go around seeking to serve Christ unless it's by the command of Christ. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. That's why these men are, are killed and slain. We have to see the symbolism in our own time. We're not here to take a sword to somebody's head and to cut off hands and feet. But we do see if somebody goes outside and, and tr seeks to and says they're serving Christ, when it's outside of his command, they are not of Christ. Now that's not for us, but at least it's an indication. It's something we ought to recognize. And that's what these men were doing. So then David becomes king over all of Israel. Okay? And so we're going to jump over to chapter 9 because we considered the establishment of the kingdom somewhat fairly briefly last week um, insofar as how uh, Solomon is going to build the temple. But I want to talk about Mephibosheth. So chapter 9. Now David said, is there, anyone, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? He had made that promise to Jonathan. And he made it to Saul. So he wants to stay true to his promise. But he loved Jonathan. He loved Jonathan. Their love was greater than the love of women. Many people think they must have been homosexuals. That is insane. That is offensive. That is ridiculous. This is a, this is a bond that very few know about. That very few are blessed to have. True brothers. Not blood brothers but true brothers committed to each other. David is looking for anybody from the house of Saul to keep his promise. He knew that if anything happened to him, Jonathan would take care of his house forever. And so that David is determined to do that. So is, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. For now. Then the king said, You will read later in your own accounts, God willing. This man defects. He makes, he makes Mephibosheth look like a traitor to David. And you, you'll read that in your own accounts. And uh, then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. There is still a son. No, not just the sons of Saul. There's Jonathan has a, a son. Jonathan has a son, but he's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now, again, this would tend to be just basically coming to your execution. You were being called out because you're one of the heirs, and so you were coming to be executed. So there's likely much fear with Mephibosheth at this point. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So, Saul said to, um, so David said to him, Do not fear. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. I know probably this whole journey, probably this whole time, you've been waiting for me to come hunt you down or to find you and to call you out and execute you. Do not fear. 
for I will surely show you kindness. Not only am I sparing your life, I'm going to share you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. This is the faithfulness of David's eventual son, Christ, showing much favor. A lame man, we've, we've mentioned in a king's court, there are only those who are able-bodied, wise men, good-looking men who are allowed at, in the king's court. David is letting this lame man eat at his table continually. Continually. He, he became lame because he was fleeing. Okay? And that's, that doesn't matter to David. That doesn't matter. He will sit at my table always. Then he bowed himself, Mephibosheth, and said, What is your servant? that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Remember how David was, was praying to God, Who am I, O oh Lord, that you would establish my house? Remember, he wanted to build a house for, for God, and, and God says, I'm building you a house. And David sit, just falls in, in prayer to God and says, Who am I? This man, jo Jonathan's son, does the same thing. What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? I? God willing, that is our hearts. Anytime we consider the salvation of Christ, anytime we realize and recognize that his holy salvific hand has actually come to us and saved us, we ought to. Who am I? Who am I that you would save me? Who am I to eat bread at your table continually? A dead dog. Remember when we consider the Syrophoenician woman and, and that whole account, and she basically was imploring Jesus to save her daughter, and she's, she basically admits, I'm your little dog. Fine, that's fine, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table. Mephibosheth is saying, I'm, I'm not even a little dog. I'm a dead dog. Who am I? And the king called to Ziba, just like Christ, he doesn't answer him. He doesn't answer him. He's, he's basically saying, that's great. That's wonderful, but you are still mine. You are, st I'm st you are going to be like one of my sons. You're Jonathan's son. You are going to be like one of my sons. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring him in the harvest, bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. So in other words, you and your family, all of you are dedicated to feed Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Always. He is one of my sons now. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And that's where we'll conclude for today. So, again, there's much more to be considered with David. We didn't even get into Bathsheba, but I think this is a wonderful time to end because the whole point of taking all this time to look at David was to look at the reflection, to see the similarities between he and God, the Son of God, ultimately David's son, the one who will sit on his throne forever. This, I think, is one of those fantastic 
wonderful providences of God to carry down from generation to generation. David is not a king like all the other nations. Jesus Christ is not a king like any other king we can even think about. We tend to assume. We think of kings of power and great luxury and prestige and everything. Christ came to serve. He's the king who came to serve. He reigns as our brother, not our tyrant, not our dictator. He is a faithful king. And though we're lame, though we're lame from trying to run away from him in fear, though we're broken, he doesn't, he looks past that. He doesn't even just look past that. He looks at his father, the promise and the oath that his father and he made. This son, Mephibosheth, has been bought with his blood, so he will sit at the table always, lame feet or otherwise. Lame feet as a leper, as a blind man, as a deaf man, disfigured, burnt, whatever you want. If they are in Christ, they sit at the table of Christ and will eat bread with him forever. Forever. As you continue your studies of David until, God willing, we get to a longer consideration of him, always think of that. Whenever you're reading your Bible, when, as, as I've tried to make clear, whenever the, the point of the Word of God, the whole, is to f see who God is and to know our Savior. Christ is throughout this whole, He is the Word of God made flesh, but especially David. As you continue your consideration, your study of David, see Christ. See Christ. Obviously, when David sins, then we see ourselves in the faithfulness of God. And we also see David's repentance. And therefore, we ought to reflect that. That's what, I, that's what I've also been trying to say. Jesus is our greatest hero. You know, if we're going to look as, for an example to, to exemplify, then he's the one. But if we want to be realistic about things, you know, let's, let's look at somebody like a David. Or somebody like a Paul. Or somebody like a Mary. Or somebody like an Abigail. These wonderful, faithful men and women that God has given to His family, to His children, to feed His children with Himself, to eat at His bread, to eat at His table continually. So, we are going to conclude considering David. And again, as we move forward, we'll be a little more brief in our considerations of men and women. However, we must remember David. We must remember Moses and, and the deliverance out of Egypt. We must remember Joshua and them entering into the promised land. But the king, the true king of Israel, the original true king of Israel, was a man after God's own heart. God has established a monarchy. He is the king. He is the king, and he, and he was supposed to be the king, and ultimately he's still the king. He's still the king, even under this theocratic monarchy now. It's a theocratic monarchy. In other words, there's a king, but the king is under the true king, the great king. And that's what many of the kings forget. And they start ruling like, all, like the kings of all the other nations. Solomon even falls into that. He's very wise. He even prays humbly for wisdom, as we'll see, God willing, next week. However... 
That's what tends to happen. It happens with David, with Bathsheba. You know, somehow, throughout his life, he forgets. We all have that tendency. Jesus Christ did not, and he does not. He is the true king. He is our good shepherd. He is the prophet. He is the word made flesh, and he is our great high priest. But he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So Jesus Christ, even though he comes from the, from the body, from the blood of David, he is the king of King David as well. And he is the master of all masters. He is the supreme authority of all the cosmos. And he came to serve. Not to be served, like the typical king. We serve Christ out of adoration. Not like those men who were seeking a reward. Our reward is him. He, we are already gifted. We already have the reward. We are blessed, eternally blessed. All the treasures of heaven and earth are at our disposal because of him. He is our exceeding great reward. Remember, that's what God told Abraham. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. So is he to us. Should we be in Christ, that is only given over through Christ. He is the most precious gift that God has ever given unto men. By far. Yes, this life, this existence, my wonderful, amazing wife, my amazing two sons, a wonderful future daughter-in-law, all this, all this is wonderful. And it's a, it's a, it is a product of his tremendous blessings, but nothing, nothing compares to the coming and the kingship of our Lord and Savior. And to whose table we will sit and eat forever, forever. We have been granted into the court of the, the king, the king. Now, remember what Jesus said, don't sit at the place of honor. When you truly come to Christ and you recognize that he is your exceeding great reward, and, and you ask, who am I? Then automatically, naturally, you sit at the end of the table because you think that's your place, rightfully. You're humbled by the salvation of, of Christ. And then Christ, Christ himself, the king, will come down to the end of the table, get up from his place of honor, the place of honor, get up, walk over to you, and say, friend, brother, sister, come and sit by me. This is where you belong. You did nothing to deserve it. You don't deserve this. Outside of my salvation, what I have done for you. Let us serve, let us serve our master to him and for him, not for ourselves. We must not do this to try to gain that crown of righteousness. That crown of righteousness is already won. It's already won. So long as we remain in him, then he remains in us. And that crown will be ours. It's not a boastful kingdom. We are not here to reign like the other kings. 
We, are, we will be kings and queens and princes and priests forever together. Together. Have absolute dominion with the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, whose kingdom we share. He has granted us His kingdom. Praise God. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.